This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, for as long as I've been doing that, you'd think I have it memorized, but no, I still have to read it every single time because if I don't, I will screw it up. Uh, it, You're going to get there it simply, eventually. It, it won't penetrate my memory area of my brain. It's still filled with Van Halen lyrics. Right. They won't, they I, won't budge. I, I, I understand. I understand. I know. You got all these lyrics these in old, there. I know. These old brains of ours only hold so much. Just, yep. Then you have to start reading everything. Literally have to read the one sentence every time. Uh, Jay, as I mentioned, uh, people can join the union. And speaking of the, the Patreon union that we have, Jay, one of our 12-month selectors is back with us. Uh, it's been... I don't know, maybe 12 months since we've last talked to her, roughly. These things happen, 13, maybe 11, you know, whatever. We get into the ballpark. Welcome back, Tara McCook. How are you doing? Hey, y'all. Hanging in. Um, a lot better than I was this time last year when we spoke. Not going to lie. Yeah. There's there's a tunnel, and we see some light at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's, it's, it's better. Things, things are good now. So, yeah. Good to be back. Now, last year, we talked about the album Desert Rain by Indian Ocean. It was our first, uh, I guess you say, Hindustani album that we've ever covered on the podcast. Previous to that, we talked about Fighting Gravity's Forever Equals a Day and the Nixon's FOMA. So you have covered a wide swath of territory with your with your records. Yeah, no, I... I a lot of some of us were trying to be weird, like Indian Ocean was trying to do something different, but mm-hmm. almost all of them, including this one, are in some way, shape, or form close to my heart. Maybe not necessarily musically, but close to my heart. Sure. And, you know, people were obviously caught off guard by the Indian Ocean pick, but I, I like to think that over the last couple of years, we've expanded with, with that pick and the Cafe Tacuba pick that uh, Chris mm-hmm. Martz picked. In our and the cruel sea pick that was definitely uh, outside our comfort zone in terms of uh, what we've reviewed, and so uh, you know, so there's some loose connections to what uh, we've talked about in the past. You know, you can make the connection between, say, like Corner Shop and Indian Ocean, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's been a fun evolution that uh, our listeners and and our suggestors have have brought to us. So this year. This must be a, a really outside the box pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so weird by like somebody who had a mainstream rock hit completely. <laughs> Share with our uh, with our listeners your pick for 2021. All right, this year it was 1996 released "Are You With Me" by uh, New Orleans band Cowboy Mouth. Another New Orleans band, Jay. We we're somebody we're. 
we're hitting it hard this year down in uh down louisiana i get the feeling yeah. uh, I, might, I might have to go down there and, and check it out i heard some yeah, things are totally. happening down there I heard yeah we'll have a meetup like Yes, we should. We should have Jay, perhaps the first uh, Dig Me Out sponsored concert. Well, it's definitely, it's the middle ground for Tara and I. I don't know about you, Tim. It's a little bit more of a haul for you. I'm sure there's a direct flight. I'm sure the oh, Southwest yeah, runs good. direct. All good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Cowboy Mouth, how did you uh, discover them? So. It's funny because I would have gone with Better Than Ezra, Friction Baby, had someone not beaten me to it. Because those records came out about the same time. And everyone here in Mobile was so excited that our people were getting on the radio. Like, Mm -hmm. that was a big deal for us. Because it was like, you know, kind of those, like, we're getting into, you know, the Communications Act time. We're getting into the time when radio stopped being local, but it was still sort of local then. And so like everyone was super psyched about these bands that were, you know, people from Mobile go to LSU all the time. They go to Tulane. And so like they were college bands for people five, six years older than me. And so like they were just everywhere. And Cowboy Mouth's a really fun live band in every single iteration, every single dramatic, every time you come to town, you have a new bass player iteration that there was. And so like, it was just fun, you know? And that's kind of, not to give too much of the game away, but this is a record that I put in my column of fun records, not necessarily good records, if that makes sense. Okay, interesting. Jay, were you familiar? Were you familiar with uh, with Cowboy Mouth? Perhaps a single, did you hear it? Well, you know what's weird is the name, I knew the name. And I guess in my head, I was thinking that they would, that that name was associated with a different band. And I recognized the song, um, Jane, Jenny Says. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was not the name and the song I would have put together. For some reason, I was thinking like, I don't know, maybe the music, the name inferred like a band that was maybe a little bit more, uh, I don't know, rootsy or something. Maybe the word cowboy. I don't know. I just said, heard the name and like, associated some other sound and then i heard the, the song and i was like well i know this song but this isn't what i expected this band to sound like okay i i was not familiar with them like you i i kind of remembered the single probably played it at the radio station probably had a, a you know promo single that we played back in 96 but i i didn't know where the name and the song connected until we got to this point let me give you a little history on this band so we're all uh, on the same page here history of the band the band formed in 1990. The name comes from a play by Sam Shepard and Patti Smith, and it means one with a loud and raucous voice. They uh, put out a number of records before, well, a couple of records before this. Um, Word of Mouth was released in 1992, and then It Means Escape was released in 1994 on the label Valley Entertainment, which was an indie label. Then they got picked up by MCA and Are You With Me was released in uh, 96, in actually July of 96, was followed by Mercyland in September of 98. And they've released a number of records since then. Um, Easy in 2000, Uh Uh-Oh in 2003, Voodoo Shop in 2006, 
Fearless in 2008, This Train in 2012, Go in 2014 the name of the band is in 2016 and the name of the band is volume two in 2018 they've also put out some eps some live albums now what's interesting is for some of the members this was not their first band drummer lead vocalist frontman fred leblanc he's a founding member of the band he was in the band dash rip rock before this which was like an 80s, I want to say like an 80s roots rock band. And then um, John Thomas Griffin, or Griffith, who's guitar and vocals, he was in a band called the Red Rockers. I actually own a Red Rockers album on vinyl. They were like, you know, like 80s, I don't know, they were like new wave, kind of new wave with guitar, you know, heavier guitars than just, you know, keyboard driven new wave, more like... um, Mm. Punky New Wave, and I have their album. You picked up. I I got it a couple like months ago, just one of those like random two dollar buys off of Discogs. Uh, I have the album Good as Gold. It came out in '83. Made it to number seventy one on the U.S. charts. They were they were like a successful band in the sense that they toured with like early U two. Who else was there? The Go Go's, Men at Work. Like they were they were a popular band. Those were the two founding members that are still currently in the band. There were a couple other folks that are founding members. The current band, tying this in, Jay, features on rhythm guitar and vocals Matt Jones, formerly of Jimmy's Chicken Shack. I kid you not. We just did a Jimmy's oh Chicken my Shack gosh. record. I know. I know. So weird. Um, and then on bass, what? We've only talked about what two two louisiana bands ever right yep and we're we, we just talked about one and now we've got jimmy's chicken shack t- uh, ties. it all ties together it's all coming together it's all coming together okay. and then uh, on and a then base- there's another little thing too about fred leblanc. fred leblanc produced dead eye dick's record that had new age girl on it so he got a gold record that way wow there is all Level. sorts of uh, connections here. Um, that, that's a band name I haven't heard in a long time. There, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you probably won't hear it for a while. And then the other, uh, the current <laughs> bass player is Brian Bruiser Broussard, who is also in Dash Rip Rock. I did want to mention that. So there have been a number of other folks who have been in the band over the years. Here's some interesting people. Cassandra Falconer was the seventh bass player in the band and vocal and, and backing vocalist from 2010 to 2004. She was a part of Cirque du Soleil's band. That's a pretty interesting uh, thing to have on your resume. Um, Jonathan Priedis, who was the third guitarist in the band from 2007 to 2010, was in a Weezer cover band called Tweezer. <laughs> Oh my! Uh, okay, come on, you gotta love that. Yeah, no, that's um, that's extremely New Orleans. Yeah, so this record made it to 192 on the Billboard 200 when it came out, and um, I believe Jenny says also charted. Where's the? Uh, well, somebody's it's somebody's like a loser there. job at Wikipedia for that. 
it's buried like way down. It was 26 on the mainstream rock chart and 33 on the alternative. It's like Thank in paragraph you. 30. Okay. So like I said, they, I mean, they got some, you know, success off of this. Um, they, as it, as it's written in their bio, they transitioned to more of a live band um, in terms of when they, after they left MCA and not necessarily scoring a big record deal after that, they've, they've made some interesting inroads here and there um, had songs on like the half bake soundtrack, the uh, meet the Robinsons, Disney animated film. Um, they performed on Regis and Kelly in 2008. They wrote a song called Kelly Ripa. That was an iTunes single. And then they had the band come on and play it. So, yeah. and they, they've been on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, so have stayed relevant. And then they've been a part of Mardi Gras celebrations, including releasing a, if you go on to Spotify, there's a, like a, a EP, a Mardi Gras EP from 2011 with mm-hmm. them doing a bunch of, uh, songs, I guess that they played at Mardi Gras. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that all yeah. operates down there. Yeah. I'm not sure what the whole the whole thing is with uh, with regards to people being out and about. So uh, I'm just guessing. Well, and they play a lot. They, you know, especially in the 2000s, like in the 2000s, tipping into the 2010s, they were a heavy gigging band. Like they do a gig in D.C. when I lived there every single year, which would be like the Gulf Coast Expats show where we would all just flock to 930. You know, they do the 930 club and they'd sell it out, you know, because you know, people in DC are from everywhere. So it'd be like our contingent. It's like our time to have our band. Um, it's funny you mentioned the Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, Vance DeGeneres, her brother, was in the band for a minute because they're, you know, Ellen and Vance DeGeneres are from, you know, outside New Orleans. They're from the New Orleans suburbs. That's and so right. When they, yeah. When they released that record, one of the songs that was on it was kind of a like a Katrina elegy kind of thing. And so they came and played that song on Ellen's show in the wake of the storm. So he was their second guitarist um, following uh, Paul Sanchez, who's the founding member guitar founding guitarist. And um, Vance also played in bands, the cold and the backbeats and was a correspondent for the daily show. I had no idea. I saw him. I remember seeing him on the Daily Show, and I had no idea he was yeah. Ellen DeGeneres' brother. Yeah, it was one of those things. Like they both got famous separately, but then when I, as Ellen has gotten older, you can kind of see the resemblance a little bit more. I'm just like, oh yeah, clearly, of course, they're related. <laughs> Interesting. So that's that's the basic history of uh, of Cowboy Mouth. Uh, we should talk about. Patreon, where we had the people vote and then they left some comments about <laughs> the album. So Dan Goodseed says, I was a huge fan of Jenny Says back in the day. I never saw the band live, but I had a VHS of a live show. And there's something about the lead singer being the drummer that just adds a lot of energy and makes the show rock. How many people have a VHS of a band they saw in the 90s raise your hand uh the band is defined by big drums catchy guitar riffs and vocals belted out by a man with his really big lungs that said not every song is a hit and i wasn't super into the christian rock part of the 
Christian rock band part, but there is a few catchy songs beyond Johnny says on there that makes it easily earn a better EP. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Testa says another Louisiana band. Who's next? Buckwheat Zydeco. Zydeco. Sorry. Zydeco. I guess if somebody uh, suggests them, we'll have to do that. Uh, not quite as big as better than Ezra, but they are a big draw at the new Orleans, new Orleans jazz fest year after year. Cowboy mouth is pure rock and fun. The drummer is a front man. And Jenny says it's a friggin' monster live PS. The name of the band is, I don't know what that means. Name of the band. The is. name of the band is cowboy mouth. It's a live show thing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Gavin says, I've never heard of this, but that's the worst band name I've ever heard. I don't agree. There are far <laughs> worse band names. Is there a decent explanation? I already provided that, Gavin. I hope you rewind about seven minutes. Uh, sounds like a sex act. Gavin? Not here. What? Not here. Not here, Gavin. Wow. Maybe in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, I don't maybe, know what you guys are doing down there. Maybe where you put your you put the <laughs> the beetroot on the hamburgers, but not here. Uh, Jenny says was okay. Then all downhill, pretty bland and not into the Christian element. That said, I could see them having a song opening a sitcom. Okay, well, so that puts them in like uh, the Rembrandt's territory, I guess. And uh, and Cheap Trick. I mean, Cheap Trick has a had a sitcom song for a while. It was a cover, but. That's not too bad. Uh, Kyle Bittner, the first time I listened, I really enjoyed it. It was upbeat and positive sounding. Sort of like Ted Lasso. It's a Ted Lasso of music. Uh, The sound reminded me me of Canada's lowest of the low. Upon further listens, I found that it was not as good as I initially thought. See, that's why you don't, you just listen to everything once and you move on. So you just leave with that first impression. Um, even though it was positive and upbeat, I found the vocals grating and the lyrical content overbearing. Better EP. Okay, so we got a lot of better EPs so far. And then Darren Leach said, I never heard of this band and I was keen to give it a listen. Sorry, just didn't inspire me. This sounds like a band who's unsure of their sound. One song is soft rock, next is alt rock, next pseudo funk. What is going on with the track Love of My Life? This album is where the 90s went completely wrong. Now, that's taken it in a very harsh direction, Darren. Uh, as per track six, this album is laughable. Sorry, Tara, don't hate me. I think you are allowed to do whatever you choose. Yes. So that's the feedback. We'll get to the actual poll results at the end of the show. Jay, tell me, down in beautiful... Where where is South Padre? Is that in America? Uh, it's almost Mexico. It's right okay. on the border. It's where uh, you know Elon Musk has his rockets. We, we just I hope they don't blow up and the debris falls on looked. you. Well, yeah, there's the locals here are not happy. Some of them are for that reason. Apparently, they, he likes they to blow, launch soon. Blow up the ones that don't that don't pan out, and then just they the pieces float around the Gulf. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, with that in mind, uh, yeah. tell me one thing you liked about "Are You With Me" by Cowboy Mouth. Yeah, a super strong sense of melody with this band. Um, uh, you get some some memorable lines here and there, but just overall, I think vocally, like the melodic sense 
is there. It's, you know, pretty high level of craft too, from a songwriting standpoint. And everybody's playing to the songs. Like, even though there's elements of this, I can tell probably work pretty well live. It doesn't sound like it doesn't cross the line over to being like jammy or anything like that. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still very much, they're all playing to service the song. The, I like the edgier stuff. You know, I think they can do like something like man on the run is a good example of like, it just, it sounds like a fun driving song. I mean, I think that's the kind of the idea of it. It feels that way. I think it delivers kind of a Brian Adams, you know, kind of anthemic feel to it. That, that works really well for them. I think they present that too in a way where it's got some edge in that, you know, it's a little muted, kind of chuggy, but not out of character from the rest of the record. Like I think it steps up into more of a rock territory and has, like I said, a little bit of edge to it, but it's also, you know, cleaner guitars, you know, and, and it kind of fits the rest of the record too. So they can move into these areas that work you know, a little, uh, I'm more from comfortable with in terms of like it being a little bit more straight ahead rock and they do it in a way that's, you know, sounds authentic. It fits the rest of the record and, you know, fresh, like it feels bright and fun. Um, even though it's, it's got a little bit edge to it. You know, I think Jenny says kind of falls in that territory too, where, you know, even musically that's got a little bit more darkness to it. It was mm. kind of bouncy, but still like, there's something about it that just has a little bit more flavor. Um, so I like that. I also like that they, when they step into maybe more of an Americana or almost like storyteller kind of vibe, you know, songs that are about people and whatever, so an event or something that happened and it's got a little bit of twang to it, just a touch that seems to work pretty well too. Um, so they can move in and out of genres a little bit. I think one of the comments kind of alluded to that, that, at least that person, it almost sounded maybe too divergent. But I thought it, from that standpoint, like they cover a lot of, they cover some ground in terms of moving into other genres. But for the most part, you still know it's the same band. It doesn't, I think at any point, like switch so much that you're like, okay, this is totally off out of left field. So I think I'm left with, you know, a group of songs that are, seem like they're written to be very accessible and maybe even hits, you know, there's at least some intent here to make this as pop friendly as possible. Well-produced. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. You just changed microphones. Interesting. So does it sound better now? Yeah. Now you sound, okay. now you sound good. <laughs> that was weird. It just like paused for a minute and then you came back yeah. with a better mic. It, it literally just switched. I don't know why it literally just automatically switched for me. So let's start the whole show over. 
I have so much editing to do on this one. It's okay. Let me wrap up my last point. So I hear, you know, strong songwriting. I hear a great melodic sense and I hear a production that is very, you know, focused on the songs. Um, There's never anything on here where it gets like, there's some guitar solos and things, but it's never about that. Um, So from that standpoint, like I get what this band's trying, you know, what they do. I get that this probably works really well live and i think you know some of the material in here is legitimately hooky and it works pretty well i want to follow up on something that you said about like man on the run being a good driving song i actually listened to this ironically enough because we had to postpone recording uh on my way to get my second covid shot i drove uh an hour and a half to go to go to uh a very small town in ohio that had plenty of extra doses yep and I listened to this on the way there and, and on the way back. Um, and it is a, it like, I think your point about it being, you know, these are really um, like hit driven songs in terms of their, their melodies and stuff. Having that extra, like little bit of ambient noise for me, like made some yeah. sort of a weird difference, like almost mm. like acting like crowd noise <laughs> in a way. Whereas when I listened to it with my headphones, it was almost like too clean. Um, I needed that like a little like that thump of the car on this on the concrete and and just a little bit of engine noise to sort of like dirty it up a little bit. Um, and I liked it when I was listening to it in the car more than when I was sitting down with headphones and and passively listening to it or or, or focusing in. It just gave me a completely different experience. Um, yep. listening to it but i do agree like the the melodies and the hooks on this are just like every song has something that you're going to remember either it's going to be the title of the song or there's going to be some line in there that sticks with you um and that's hard to do across uh you know whatever 12 11 13 tracks whatever it is um was it 12 tracks and um it was interesting also to hear a band you know it's mentioned about them jumping around but they are very unified in their sound in terms of yeah jenny says has like a little bit of a rockier edge but i i kept hearing like you know they're still making these subtle switches but everybody knows what to do in those switches when they go a little more i guess punkier or or they're i don't i don't necessarily think it's like funk but you know what i mean like there's some of them's got a little bit of a groove like everybody's serving the songs really well yeah Um, i think if you had like a very showy guitar player it would be very awkward because you'd have to give them like you know their their 30 second solo in every song and it would be blatant whereas the song the guitar playing is like it's not complicated you listen to it and you go, oh, that's not that hard, but it's adding these extra melodies that help anchor the songs um, in ways. And I, I, the thing I was noticing when I was listening, especially with the guitar playing, is there's a really difficult balance between getting a a distortion that sounds like there's some you know grit to it but not pushing into the edge where you start getting a lot of like 
extra tones and brittleness and extra like you know what i mean like these are the i don't i've never been able to really dial that tone in where you get that grit but don't push it over so where it like starts to get a little too noisy and i'm sure that there's that's from them being a band not only to being a band but these guys were previously in bands before this so they clearly had some technical ability and i think i learning about that makes me more impressed because you know these were guys who were in bands in the 80s and then they got to this point and said well we're going to craft yep um really really tight songs every song is you know under 5 minutes most are in the 4 or, or in the in the 3 to 4 minute range so there was a lot of care and and thought taken um, to getting to this point, which is interesting because it's not like they jumped from being in a in a major label band in the '80s to just starting a new band in the '90s, jumping in a major label. I mean, they started at the bottom again with like an indie label and and getting signed again. So that's it takes some dedication to do that. So Tara, what works best for you on this record? It's funny you said that listening in the car makes the record sound better than listening through headphones or on digital because. When I went back after many years to listen with like a critical ear to my digital copy of the record, my cassette copy that I used to drive around with in the car had more richness in the tone, you know, like more, and maybe that's nostalgia because I should also point out that this record came out on my 15th birthday. So like right in that teenage nostalgia sweet spot, like right there. But yeah, like this is absolutely a driving record, a live show record. Like all these songs are fun as hell live. Like, like Love of My Life and Jenny Says are like centerpieces of their sets. And it's just, they blow the roof off the joint when they play them. And you can kind of hear that they're structured for that in the record. Like they're structured to be the big fun pop in the show, right? So yeah, but it's interesting. It was interesting to hear people say that they heard Christian rock in there. And I'm wondering if it's just because they said God a lot in that one song, which, you know, whatever. Yeah. I didn't hear that at all. Like, and... I've, I've definitely brought y'all some angry Baptists who are angsting out at life, CF the Nixons, but, you know. I used to believe in the spirits that turned all your words into sound. But I was your walk on the wild side. I should be better by now. If you see me looking for something, or someone will never be found. and your analysis of kind of the service of the song. It's not something I even thought about on my re-listen, but it makes total sense. Like we're really into Chris Stapleton in our house. And my husband describes Chris Stapleton's songwriting as his reach does not exceed his grasp. And I think that's a fair way to kind of describe Cowboy Mouth is they know what they're going for. They have the skills for what they're going for. And they're not trying to go crazy. Like they're not trying to be ambitious beyond what they're aiming for. And there's a lot to be said for that, you know, yeah. being straight ahead, kind of varying degrees of rock 
across, you know, that little range from kind of edgier to more melodic. We do one thing, we do it very well and we move on, you know? And I think that's a really, that's a really salient point that I'd never thought of, but it makes total sense. Yeah. I think when Tim mentioned the, um, the guitar player or the guitar solos, let's say. So as I was listening to the record, we would get to the point where like, okay, I just instinctively knew like we're either going to a bridge or guitar solo here. And this is the part where my brain started to think, well, this is the part where like the overambitious guitar player is going to do some, you know, solo that they think is amazing, but it's really just bland and, you know, kind of distracts from the point of the song. And they didn't do that. Like maybe here and there, there's some, some parts that I would say are guitar solos, but it would be like this, this little interlude. Usually if there was some kind of guitar, solo, it was more melodic and just kind of picking up the phrase of the song. And then they would just go back into the song again. So I, I kept getting kind of tricked on that thinking I was going to get this, you know, wanky guitar solo and it would turn into like a jam kind of feel and it didn't happen. And it just helped reinforce, I think what you're saying too, Tara, in terms of, yeah, they know what they want this to be and they've spent enough time, I think in bands and, you know, thinking about how to do this and craft it, that it comes across. Yeah. I think laughable is actually a really good example of that, of the solo that fits, but doesn't, there was lots of potentiality for that to just go off. Like, when I would listen to this record a lot around the house, if my dad would be sitting in the background noodling around on his guitar, my dad is a guitar guy, like a jazz guitar guy. I love my daddy very dearly, but if I have to hear anything about Dora Lithian mode or whatever, one more time, I'm going to fall <laughs> over. And he would like noodle alongside them. And he would kind of just start going, I'm like, the song does not need this. What are you doing right now? And he's like, it needs a solo. I'm like, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, I mean that song is like a a Jim Blossomy jangle pop song to say yep. jangle pop uh you know when I was calling their second record non jangle pop I did want to address something that Darren Leach said about love of my life when I hear that I hear Bo Diddley and I totally get like the blues southern connection where like you would play that song live but then there would be a long, like, there would be an interlude, or not an interlude, but there would be space for the for the singer to vamp. The love of my life takes my lunch to breakfast. Mary, I thought that a man might starve. You smoked dope, but now she acts in. I don't mind. Tearing me down with a full-length mirror. Pray for death while the beauty fades. Don't go anywhere any man will lead her. I don't mind. She's not the love of my life anymore. that's what happens but that and that reminded me and what weirdly is a lot of this record reminded me of like the first tragically hip record where it has this rootsy vibe it's not in the production the production is much different but in terms of the songwriting in some of these songs there there is this like rootsy vibe that permeates without being country and and without being like overtly country and 
I think it's because again, those guys, two of the guys that were in this band were in a, uh, a an eighties, um, like al- alternative country rock band in dash strip mm-hmm. rock. So that kind of makes sense, but I, I'm, you can speak to it better than we can is, is love of a lifetime. Is that a, is that a, or love of life? Is that a, um, a highlight live for them? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. That's a big one. Uh, Jenny says obviously is a really big one, but yeah, there's a lot of like manipulation of the song. Like, like you're saying, there's a place to kind of go off and like do the live show thing of this is where I'm going to talk to you for a while, or this is where we're going to get all ready to like go crazy and start screaming together. Yeah. The love of right. life was a big one for that for sure right. and that's and that's exactly what like when i mentioned the hip that's what in new orleans is sinking there's like this you know just a eight bar break but that would turn into a 12 minute long story time for for yep. Downey, and the band would follow along with him and vamp along with him and, and rise and fall musically so that that's what i'm yeah. saying in terms of the in terms of the connection there um, I would definitely say that the New Orleans is thinking, because I was just listening to a, a live version of New Orleans is thinking where they did that. And that's one of the few times where you're allowed to say New Orleans, by the way. Like it's New Orleans otherwise. But <laughs> well, it's Canadian, the I, Canadian I, I, pronunciation. Putting that out there. Yeah, putting that out there, lest I lose my Gulf Coast cred. But yeah, like that's like that is like the grad school version of what Love of My Life does at like the 200 level course, okay. I would say. Gotcha. Jay, what does it work for you? Well, the flip side of heavy craft sometimes can be that it it it, it comes. Some of the material comes off as uh, these could be Disney songs, like they are that high a level of craft, right? You're hiring like the best professional songwriters, you know, that are writing you know songs that can be hits, but also can fit movies and carry scenes, which takes a huge amount of craft. And like there are moments where like. How do you tell someone? Like, that could be in Frozen. Did you ever know me? I swear that I have tried. Did you ever need me? I feel like I just died. Did you ever want me? I swear that I have tried. How do you tell someone you don't love them? How do you tell someone you don't care anymore? How do you tell someone you Or I think, you know, Love of My Life could be in Tarzan. <laughs> like, these sound like songs I could picture in big hit Disney movies, um, you know, uh, so. Because they're so broad. Yeah. yeah like, musically, I get Especially when you mix in a little bit of that genre feel, like, oh, this has kind of got a Bo Diddley feel, but, you know. And I think there's something about the way like he enunciates super clear, which is something yes. else you hear, you know, in those Disney movies and this very sophisticated melodic sense, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is not simple melodically. Um, lyrically it's a little, can get a little wordy, which is another characteristic of, you know, that sort of thing. So there's, and then the production wise, you know, it's super crisp and punchy and it's not overly edgy, but it's got a little bit of flavor in there. So, 
there were some moments where I felt like, you know, we were, I was heading and, and while I could appreciate that, like, oh, wow, I could totally hear this in Tarzan. I'm also like, well, but this sounds like a Disney movie, <laughs> you know? So there were some uh, songs and some material on here that just went like too soft for my taste. Um, so I tend to gravitate more towards the edgy stuff and um, those things that went the other direction either got a little too off the script for me or sappy little, little goofy here and there lyrically maybe. Um, so, you know, that that's when the album didn't work, what was going on for me. Yeah. I, I don't think the production does them, does them justice because the songwriting is really good, but it's so clean that like you said, these sound like in some instances, like show tunes. Like I, I actually was curious to know if he had, like a, a theater performance background because he's able to, like you said, enunciate, project, like his voice is so strong. Yeah. And, but then he's also able to like riff really quickly, which is a hard yeah. thing to do. I mean, you're talking like, you know, someone who's spitting Hamilton verses. <laughs> you know, this right. is like, there's some there's some really tricky stuff on here but then at the same time he's able to cover like very like adult oriented rock type sounds that are not my not my jam and yeah. it's not it's not the whole record and i i i think like the people that were getting caught up on the the lyrical content outside of god makes the rain I didn't get a ton of that on the rest of the record unless I just missed it, but I was, I feel like I was paying attention, but that song being the third song and it just being so him repeating that phrase over and over again. And it just felt like you're getting like hit in the face with it over and yeah. over. I, I would not have sequenced that song there. Um, I don't love the sequencing of, of some of the record because and not that I want to front load it with all the up up tempo stuff, but yeah. it kind of doesn't flow as as much as I would like. Well, I was I was definitely thrown. Like Jenny says, set a certain tempo. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be like I'm thinking of the living end, or maybe a little ska, or like we're going to head in that direction. And even like the way he's singing in that, almost he's kind of a uh, bellowing a little bit. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like he's, you know, in this Morrissey, you know, kind of tone to his voice or something like where's this where are we going to go from here and then to go to those two songs which really pull it down and get mm -hmm. very you know happy sounding and bright uh it, it's kind of a a fl they, you know, totally flipping the script within the first quarter of the record in terms of what you expect and then what you start to get and then at that point i'm like well i don't know where we're going now um i think from there on out it was kind of an up and down like things were mixed a little bit better um, right. in terms of, you know, trading songs off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird uh, sequence of, you know, three or four songs there at the beginning. Tara, revisiting it, were there things that, that stuck out for you that uh, mm -hmm. didn't work as well as you'd maybe remembered? Oh, for sure. And they were things that didn't work at the time. As well, like the sequencing, you're spot on. Um, this was a record I would often shuffle. I would often play on random on the CD player. I would often program certain tracks. I would flip the order around, like when you used to do that on your CD player. Mm -hmm. I would definitely do that. 
This, this record should be 11 tracks long. The 12th track is one of the worst songs I have ever heard in my entire life. It is very bad. <laughs> yeah. And some of the things that they tried to do, like how do you tell someone is a really interesting song, especially in adulthood, having been, you know, having now been through a divorce once in my life. Right. Like those are dark, heavy lyrics, but it's how do you tell someone you don't love them? Like it's very much like, it's a level of discordance that I didn't pick up the first time. And the second time after having had that experience, it's like, I don't know if that plays right, you know? So yeah, like there's definitely like, and that kind of showy thing is not also something that I didn't really think about until y'all said it out loud, but yeah, it's absolutely produced like in all the best ways and also all the worst ways, right? Like I'll tell on myself a little bit about God makes the rain. Um, that song is so like show tuney that I came this close to using it to audition for show choir, which I only did because the kids who were driving me home from school were auditioning for show choir and I was bored. So I auditioned too. I made a last minute audible to not sing that, but to sing, I believe I could fly instead because my dad's fifth graders were learning that for their graduation. And I made show choir off of, I believe I can fly. Not oh, my nice. Proudest. I did not actually wow. do show choir because it interfered with my mock legislature, AKA nerd club, where <laughs> my current husband and I met and I would much rather have done that than wear a bow tie and sing fascinating rhythm on the football field. So, you know, there's <laughs> going on there. Way, way, way too much cringe for anyone. <laughs> but yeah. I, so to your point about show tunes, totally. Yeah. So I feel like, the musically is it's just like it's not at the same energy level as the vocal in a lot of ways yeah. like mm. you, if you're if he's going to be that bombastic at times and big the like the band has to come up around him because the drums are big in a lot of the songs and he's got you know the, the bo diddley rhythm and jenny says has got stuff going on but some of the other songs when he belts it like i kind of wish the band the band is always at a nice very consistent level but there needed to be like this is a band where i could hear them bringing in other instruments on particular songs like where's the song that features like an accordion where's the song that features a horn you know those this band is like perfect for that because they have such a clean template to play with that you could easily bring in just one or two sort of extra things here and there to accent. And uh, you don't need to do, you don't have to have a sax solo or something like that. We don't have to get all crazy, but I could definitely hear some, some aspects of that, especially adding a little, just a little flavor um, mm -hmm. to, cause I did actually sample. I was curious, like, what does the rest of this catalog sound like? Because this album to me sounds like Jenny says is a very different song than a lot of the record. And I was like, I wonder if that's consistent or if that's more inconsistent. And I did sample some other songs that were their top singles on Spotify. And mm -hmm. some of the songs were like, they had some pretty chunky guitar on them. And then they're doing like the cover of, um, uh, what was it? Uh, the, Iko Iko? I don't know. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Which, uh, again, so swollen. 
Right. But that's got like a little bit more personality to it that I think fits this yeah. band. And I think that's the one thing that I'm I'm sort of left with here is that some of the songs, like you said, Jay, they, they sound like really well written, but there's like they sound like they might have been assembled by a factory by Disney because uh, yeah. they're so clean and they're so precise and there's not a dissonant note or or a, or a anything wrong with them, which um, my warped mind needs something every once in a while that goes a little bit off <laughs> yeah. off chart or off course. Um, so that was the well, I, uh, my really only my complaint. I guess I think your point about the vocal having so much energy, it says it to me. Like we talked early on about like, okay, everybody's playing to the songs. It's almost like, but the vocal is outperforming everybody else, you know? So it's like, you got to either like bring that down. Like even Jenny says, I would say the vocals pulled back a little bit Mm -hmm. compared to some of the other songs. So either pull that back a little bit. So it matches everything else or, find other ways to bring you know elements other elements of the band up to match it so you get a little bit of tension you get a little bit of dirt or grit here and there you get some emotion that matches that vocal and i think the one place where that really worked together well and i'll be completely honest this is one of my top 10 favorite songs of my entire life and also a big important life song but new orleans the track new orleans where he gets really raspy at the end where, you know, you're kind of like, (laughs) like I said, my divorce happened to occur during the time when I was living in Louisiana and spending a lot of time in new Orleans. And so the whole take me back to new Orleans, drop me at my door, (laughs) living that life was kind of happening at that point in time. So I am not a, I'm not a clear eyed analyst on this one, (laughs) but that's also a really good place where that kind of frayed bombast is doing something like it's in service of the tone and tenor and content. And it's really like part and parcel of the whole thing. And that's part of why I think it hooked me so hard, but you know, in other places where he goes really hard like that, it's almost like out of place. And the track they did, I mentioned that on the Ellen show, the Katrina elegy called Avenue, which is on the voodoo shop record. That's another place where he's really like in his feelings. And it's like, you know, you can hear the morning, you can hear like, oh God, my home is gone, you know, because it was written like really raw right in the aftermath of the storm. And when he says this cannot be the end of the avenue and brings it like it's a rallying cry of we're coming back, you know, and so like there's that actual crescendo. There's places where LeBlanc really serves it well, but then there's other places where it doesn't quite balance. Well, it's also hitting me right now that I didn't realize he was also the drummer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we've kind of mentioned. I think, Tim, you just mentioned it. Like, the drums are punchy and the lead vocal is punchy, but the rest of the band is, like, kind of down here, you know, uh, lower, not as up front. That, that's super interesting that the, he's doing both of those performances. Yeah. It's one of the – I used to have a rule of never let the drummer sing – and I think it was, uh, I think I was mad at Don Henley for something when I made that rule. We've which all is been not mad, fair. Yes. Things beautifully, whatever. But he's definitely like, and for a guy with that kind of voice and that kind of like, and he's also kind of a, like a stocky dude, like the big dude, he has 
stamina. Like he drums with that crazy kind of energy and like flips the sticks around and it's showy when they play live, but he never loses the vocal either. Or at least he didn't used to. I haven't seen him in a few years, but like it's you know, when I was seeing them a lot at the height of their touring, like he could really bring the energy and not lose a beat, literally or figuratively. The only um Eagle song that I like is those shoes. <laughs> okay. No love for I can't tell you why. Just 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 telling you. Joe Walsh wrote it. <laughs> That's why. There you go. It's a Joe Walsh Don Felder collaboration, but it's definitely a Joe Walsh vibe on that song. But otherwise I don't like the Eagles. It's got some talk box on it too, which is never a bad thing. Uh, do you know that quality. song, Jay? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure I do if I've heard it. I think we all know every Eagles song, don't we? It's it's one of their not big hits, but it's it's still a hit that gets played. But you should yeah. you should listen to it. I'm surprised it hasn't been sampled for like hip hop because it has mm-hmm. like a beat that could easily be sampled. It probably has. I don't know. I don't even know it. But there's a reason that when my dad says a song has been overplayed, he says it has been eagleized. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, yeah. That's a great uh, term. I'm going to start using that. Um, are you trademarking? Trademark John yeah. okay. I just need to protect my dad just because I've talked about him so much. I think I, I would feel weird if I didn't. Let's get into our overall ratings for this record. We'll give the results of the poll after we share ours. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, where do you land? Better EP, and my EP is Jenny says, "Take it out on me." Laughable, so sad about me. Man on the run in New Orleans. Um, I think that's either the moodier, darker, more rock-oriented aspects of the album. Uh, Peacemaker, like musically, I was interested in, but I just could not get over those lyrics. Um, I, I don't know what what was going on there. Um, but uh, but yeah, that would be my EP. Yeah, I'm basically in the same ballpark as you. I think what you said. You said Jenny says, "Take it out on me." Laughable. I would swap um, "Love of My Life" for "Man on the Run." I think. Well, no, I just, I'm not sure if I would keep man on the run. That's on the edge for me. It's on like the yes, no edge for keeping that one, but at about six songs. The beginning has a two, three, four. (laughs) So do a billion other songs. Anytime I hear that, I'm a sucker. I'm like, okay, where I don't know where we're going, but I'm on. He's counting us in. Let's go. He's counting us in. Uh, Tara, where do you land? On the on the scale, I land worthy album. I do. I would chop Peacemaker off with a with prejudice, like make that song go away. It's terrible. But I would keep all the other songs. I'd probably shuffle them around, and I would really have to like. I, it would take me a while to think about how. And some of it is strictly. It was a song that meant something in a memory to me. Like God makes the rain is not a good song, but it has a really fun story in my life. So I'm keeping it, you know, Right. but like, 
you know, there are some like some great ones, like the man, the so sad about me, man on the run, Louisiana lowdown, New Orleans run is quality. I would leave that exactly how it is. And the rest of it, I'd kind of toss around, you know, but I might actually end the record with Jenny says. Just because that outro is so fun. I can see it both sides. Like there's a case for starting it. There's a case for ending it. But I might also start with Jenny says and end with love of my life. You could do a reprise. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe we'll get hidden track reprise on top of it. There you you go. know, very nice to do. Like 17 tracks down the CD. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Nothing to do. But yeah, like I, I I have, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of this record. I have a lot of fond, like it's a warm place in my heart, but I can definitely see where it's controversial. Cowboy Mouth is a polarizing band, you know, like it's, you either really dig it or like, what the hell is this? I can't. And especially kind of their later material as they got weaker, like that kind of added into the, like if you ask New Orleanians what they thought of Cowboy Mouth, you're going to get a really interesting range of answers. Probably some of it's going to depend on age. Probably some of it's going to depend on taste, but they're polarizing. But I come down on the, this record I dig. All right. Well, the... Patreon community was not happy. They went 75-25 decent single over better EP. So they like Jenny says, (laughs) but that was about it. Uh, There was some, you know, what's interesting is that I think out of all the people who commented, there was one, two, two people who said better EP Patrick Testa was very positive. I would have thought he would go EP or were the album. Um, Comments in the votes we've learned then have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. There must've been some sort of an anti-cowboy mouth contingent that did not speak up. (laughs) There's a lobby. Yeah. It was a silent, a silent lobby that is always influencing there's like a there's like a Illuminati that's hidden in the background of all of our <laughs> polls. It's it's that they never match up with the comments. I have no idea what's going on. But uh, Jay and I both uh, rated this a, a better EP. I think there's a, at least six good songs for people to check out. You can go on your streaming services and whatnot to um, to give them a listen. Fun fact I learned while we were doing this, Jenny says was also on the previous record. Oh, I think a, I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did know that. If you go to Spotify, this this song has from this album mm-hmm. has four hundred and forty thousand spins, but from the previous record, it has two point six million spins. So total it's about three million spins for the song. Um, was it a hit, you know, hit from the previous record or was it a hit on this record? Um it was, it was a hit from, it's it's from this record that we reviewed, but who knows when those songs went up on Spotify, when when those albums went up, because this was a major Mm -hmm. label album. So it's possible that the indie album went up first with MCA, maybe, Mm. you know, having rights issues or what. I have no idea. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? There's also a dash rock version that they did when LeBlanc was in the band. So there's a version from 1989 on the record Ace of Clubs as well. Oh my gosh. Which I've never heard, but I have to go back and find now because now I'm dying to hear that. Wow, 89. 
Yeah. So that's kicked around at least eight years. That's crazy. There's also a Led Zeppelin version from 1971. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you go back to the first uh, Rachmaninoff album, <laughs> which which their version is a really a reinterpretation of a Howlin' Wolf song. Yes. No, it's on the it's on the 1989 Dash Rip Rock album Ace of Clubs. And uh um, yeah. It sounds so I don't know, it sounds so late 90s to me. Mm-hmm. That's 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 I want to go back and hear the 89 version just to hear if that's like if I've got that 90s by association thing happening or if there are actually sonic differences. Like maybe they punched it up. I'm listening to it right now. It I mean, there's some more reverb, naturally, because it's 1989. <laughs> but it doesn't sound that much different. Wow. Interesting. Huh. Because this to me, if it, it fit in with the like a no doubt, like that would mm-hmm. yeah. go great with that in the late 90s. So to think they wrote it in the late 80s is, is crazy. Yeah. Just shows you that a good song stands the test of time. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Uh, Tara, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, on this episode and uh, adjusting your schedule to, for my um, my uh, shot recovery. Greatly appreciated yeah. that. It's always a pleasure. It's always fun, and I'm glad you feel better. Thank you. I'll feel even better in, in a my... week and a half when I'm completely immune to uh, all disease. Yeah. Running around the town looking doorknobs. <laughs> When I'm an immortal with my with my exactly. uh, bionic arms and legs. Like I'm like uh, Lee Majors in that show. <laughs> the six six dollar man. Uh <laughs> I gotta remind people if you want to suggest a record, uh the way to do so is to join us over at Patreon, sign up for the 12 month uh tier. And uh, you can pick a record after 12 months, or you can just do the whole thing at once and you just pick it right now. Um, that's how that works. The other way is to go to digmeoutpodcast.com, throw your suggestion into the suggest an album uh, field with some comments about why you're suggesting it, and then, and then it'll end up in a poll down the road, and maybe it'll win the poll. And maybe people will be really angry that you put in a, a suggestion that blew everybody else away and they can gripe <laughs> about it over at our discord channel, which is where people go to talk about everything that's happening in the world, mostly about uh-huh. music, but we do talk about other stuff there. It's a fun community that you can join just by uh, being a part of our Patreon community. Um, and we have our own emojis. That's how cool our discord page is our own custom emojis. And uh, it's also, uh, if you go to digmeoutpodcast.com where you go to sign up for the box newsletter delivered to you every week, we have uh, new album reviews from bands relevant to the 80s and 90s, both uh, reviewed by me and by our patrons. They can suggest albums that they would like to review that have just come out and uh, we include them. It's a whole part of the building the community thing there. And then last but not least, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. 
So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Take me back to New Orleans and drop me at my door. Because I might love you, yeah, but I love me more.